Well, you can follow along on the screens as I read our passage on which our sermon is based this morning from the Gospel of Matthew. Friends, these words are utterly true, and they are given to us in love. Jesus is speaking. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew to you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I want to say hi uh, to everyone here in the room, those joining us online this morning. If you're new with us today, my name is Tyler. I'm one of the pastors here at Orangewood, and I'm really glad that you are here. Uh, we are in a sermon series we're closing out today called Undeniable Witness, and we've been looking at these encounters that people have had with Jesus. But really, our series of encounters with Jesus goes all the way back a year ago, um, where we have been this past year looking at all these different encounters people had with Jesus. It's kind of hard to believe that it's been a year, uh, especially this past year. Uh, in some ways, this past year feels like it was five years rolled into one year. And at other times, it's felt like it's only been 20 days, but it has been a year. And we've encountered uh, many different people approaching Jesus about many, many different things. Some people uh, who come to Jesus, that they were among the religious crowd, but they struggled to understand this grace that he brought. Other people uh, came to Jesus. They had, they had questions about faith. Uh, they had issues with the gospel. Uh, they came as skeptics leaning into the claims of Jesus. There were others who came to encounter Jesus. They had a particular uh, issue in their life, a need that they were facing, uh, and they realized that Jesus was the only answer to their issues. And this encounter that we find ourselves in today, we're closing out uh, over these last few weeks, these various encounters that we saw Jesus after his resurrection. And today we find a very pointed few remarks Jesus gives about the final encounter, the, the final encounter that includes every one of us that one day we will stand at the doors of eternity and Jesus will be there. And so this morning I will call this sermon our warning encounter. We pick up today uh, on the hillside about 2,000 years ago. The, the, the spot, you could go see it today if you wanted to in Israel. Uh, this spot where this Sermon on the Mount took place. And, and maybe you're he here with us this morning. It's your first time with us and you may have some regret like you've missed anything. I actually want you to know you, you've, you've come to this hillside at a very important time. Yeah, we, we, we find ourselves walking up and sitting down under the words of Jesus. But what we find is these are some of the most crucial points. And we find that these are some of the most sobering of words. There's a moment, uh, it, these moments in life that we have where we can find ourselves uh, in a state of confusion. We can find ourselves in, in a daze, if you will. And something happens in life where we 
find ourselves sobering up pretty quickly. I remember I had an encounter with a man. He was an ex-military soldier, and he began to tell me the story at a park one day about how he had been out with some friends. He had had a little too much to drink, maybe one or five drinks too many, and he is heading back to his, his home. He's walking on the, the sidewalk, and he is approached and ambushed by a robber demanding his wallet with a knife in his hand. And he began to tell the story. Now, you, this, this ex-military soldier that I was encountering, uh, I mean, he is ripped out of his mind. Why anyone would think to ambush him is, is a question for us all. Uh, but he, he shared about he was sitting there and this, this man had ambushed him during this walk home. And as he was sitting there, he had his sunglasses on and he started to share with me uh, this story. And he said, if the, the robber said, if you don't comply, I, I'm going to, to kill you. And the, the man, as he was sharing the story with me at the park, he, he leaned in with his sunglasses on, but he, but he pulled them down just so he could see my eyes with his. And uh, he, he, he said, I'd had way too much to drink, but I sobered up quickly. And needless to say, he was looking quite fine. I don't know what happened to that ambusher, but it probably wasn't good. There are moments in our life that demand us to sober up quickly. These are some of the most sobering of words that Jesus gives us. Some of the most sobering of words that Jesus ever uttered. And everything about this passage must cause us to look a little deeper. I have a question for you this morning. Uh, have you ever had a moment in your life where you felt duped. You felt scammed. You felt you were tricked. Um, you, ha you had a moment where uh, what you thought was true wasn't true at all. Um, I remember about 15 years ago, I'd gone to meet a, a friend at the local Barnes and Noble. I, this was in college. And we went to the local Barnes and Noble and they were closing down for the night. And so we were, we were ushered out the door to the parking lot where we continued our conversation there in the parking lot. And there was a car that came speeding up right next to us and, and parked right next to us. And the guy gets out and begins to share this story with me and my friend. He, he's, he said, listen, listen, I, I just left my, my girlfriend's apartment. Now my ex-girlfriend's apartment. We had a huge fight and I ran out the door. I hopped in my car to leave as fast as I could only to realize I am completely out of gas and also only to realize I left my wallet back at her apartment. Could you guys spare some cash for me so I can get some gas? Now, as he is sharing this story, it's very involved, very detailed story. I began to think, wait, I feel like I've met this man before. I've met the, I, I feel like I have heard this story before. I think I was standing in this very spot two years earlier at this Barnes and Noble at this time, hearing this same story. So as he was getting to that end moment, the crescendo moment where he asked for the money, uh, I, I said some very choice words for him that shocked my, my friend has no idea what's going on. I thought Tyler loved Jesus, but he's like ready to pounce on this guy. Um, this, this guy hops in his car. He, he speeds off as fast as he could, but it is the story that we all know. 
We've all been there where we've found those situations in life. Whether it was a scam phone call, fake news, a phishing email, a very detailed and elaborate story at 10 p.m. in a Barnes and Noble parking lot. We've all been there. But here's the question for you this morning. Have you ever tricked yourself? Have you, have you, have you ever scammed yourself? Have you ever duped yourself? Have you ever deceived yourself? Now, before you rush to defend yourself, I want you to know the data is actually pretty clear. You and I do this all the time. Catherine Schultz in her book, Being Wrong, highlights the uncanny ability we have to deceive ourselves and our unending ambition to always be right. This is what she says. Our indiscriminate enjoyment of being right is matched by an almost equally discriminate feeling that we are right. Schultz is saying uh, everyone loves being right so much about everything that we will lie to ourselves about anything so that we believe we are right. Everyone does this. Everyone does this. I mean, everyone except me, of course. The data is clear that we can deceive ourselves into believing things that are not true. And before the psychologists and the sociologists ran experiments to test this data over and over and over again, there was a first century rabbi who stood on a hillside with a sermon to call us to the common predicament of the human life. In this passage that we read earlier, Jesus is calling us out of this temptation for self-deception. When we stand before Jesus on judgment day, there will be those who believed that they were in who were actually out. How could we miss it? How, how, How could we miss this? Well, Jesus gives us three ways. He first, he tells us we can know all the right things and still miss it. Second, we can express all the right things and still miss it. And finally, we can do all the right things and still miss it. So let's look at that first one. We can know all the right things and still miss it. Jesus tells us these people that will stand before him on judgment day, um, they will know all the right things. They will know all the right doctrine. They will know all the right theology. They will have the right view of the Bible. And they will begin their vindication by saying, Lord, in his presence. Uh, This idea, they they knew Jesus was God. They, They knew he was the king of all the universe. They knew that he was the master. Uh, Early on in our marriage, um, as I've shared before, we lived here 10 years ago here in Orlando. We loved it. It was this wonderful season of our marriage. Uh, We had no kids. Um, That's part of why it was wonderful. And uh, one of the things we took part in 10 years ago when we lived here was we went to Discovery Cove and swam with the dolphins. I don't know if you've been to Discovery Cove. It's a a wonderful place. And Rachel, one of her all-time ambitions and dreams in life 
was to swim with dolphins. Something she just always longed for was to go, to go swim with dolphins. And it was her birthday. And because I am a great husband, um, you're supposed to laugh at that. Um, <laughs> we went to Discovery Cove. We had a great time. Um, but before we swam with the dolphins, we went to the stingray exhibit. It was this great exhibit where you can, you can touch, you can, you can, you can play with the different stingrays that are there. And we were there, uh, right in this stingray exhibit. And we got to hang out the whole time we were in that stingray exhibit with NBA legend, Tim Duncan. Now, if you don't know Tim, he is one of the greatest basketball players to ever live. Uh, he's a five-time NBA champion, two-time MVP, 10-time first-team All-NBA. Uh, many consider him to be the greatest power forward to ever play the game. In fact, he was recently inducted into the NBA Hall of Fame. Tim and I lived in North Carolina at the same time. He, um, he was attending college and playing basketball there at Wake Forest University. Um, he, of course, grew up in the Virgin Islands, um, but there we were hanging out together in this Stingray exhibit, just watching his kids play, having this great conversation, smiling, enjoying that moment. Um, it was this, one of those best moments right there. And the conversation was so natural as I'd always imagined it would be. But the craziest thing happened. We, we, we left that Stingray exhibit and, and we went our separate ways. And as he was walking away with his family, Tim never turned around to say goodbye to me. He, he didn't even look at me. Uh, Tim and his family went on to this other exhibit and he acted like he didn't know me at all. And the reality is, friends, he doesn't. You see, I know a lot about Tim Duncan. I know a lot, probably more than the average man should, but I don't know him. And friends, we can know a lot about God. We can know the facts about him, about the Bible, and we can miss the reality of truly knowing him. We can miss the beauty and the excellency of who God is. We have to have a real encounter with him. The question this morning is, have you, do you know him? Second, Jesus tells us we can express all the right things and still miss it. Jesus tells us uh, these people who are standing before him on judgment day, they, they don't just say, Lord, it says here, they say, Lord, Lord. Uh, this is a way of expressing throughout the Bible uh, passion and emotion. It, it, you, you have to think of it this way. Uh, when you, you see this kind of um, repeating taking place, it, it was a way of almost like the exclamation point in English. It's the exclamation point in English. These people not only know all the right things, but they have the passion to go along with it. This is actually a very interesting point about the Sermon on the Mount yeah, and, the, and about this crowd who's listening in to these words of Jesus. When we look back at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us there are actually two types of people listening in that day at the Sermon on the Mount. These, these two types of people, he tells us who they are. He says, there are these two types of people who are praying. There's two types of people who are fasting. There are two types of people who are giving to the needy. But what we assume is that Jesus is going to separate 
between the good people, the right people, and the bad people and the wrong people. That those are the two groups. Those people who are doing the right things, the good people, and those who are doing the wrong things, the bad people. But in the Sermon on the Mount, what we see is Jesus isn't contrasting two groups, the right people and the wrong people, the good people and the bad people. They're actually all doing the right things. They're, 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 they're all praying. They're, they're all giving to the needy. They're, they're all fasting. They're all living life with passion. Jesus came not to contrast the good people and the bad people. From the Sermon on the Mount, he came to contrast the good people from Christians. Scott Saul says it this way. There will be two surprises in heaven. The first will be the people who actually end up there. And the second will be the people who don't. Some will even be surprised to see themselves in heaven and perhaps not see their pastors or some other respectable religious person they knew. You may be listening this morning on the fence about the claims of Christianity, having some issues that you're working through. You may even be here today, this morning absolutely opposed to Christianity. And one of your main issues is how Christians carry themselves. Um, uh, but, you know, just the, the idea that you carry that Christians believe that they're better than you or this idea that uh, Christians believe that they have it all figured out. Um, and what I want you to know is if that's what you're rejecting, that's actually not Christianity at all. <laughs> Jesus will reject those same people at the last day because Lord, Lord was just words on the tongue, but not the reality of the heart. It looks like something, but it's not true. It's a counterfeit. It, it, it looks like the real thing, but it's just a little off. One point in my life, I was working at Starbucks. I was a barista. I made all the coffee. And uh, the Starbucks that I worked at, um, we were getting hit pretty frequently uh, by a person or a group of people with counterfeit bills. Uh, they were coming in, they were using counterfeit bills. And we finally got to the place where the manager of our store had taped up in the back office one of these counterfeit bills, I think it was a 20, next to one of the real ones. And as you went back to kind of assess and dissect you, from far away and even up close, they looked the exact same. Uh, but our store managers had given us time to, to really look at them, examine them, uh, study them, uh, notice the irregularities, notice the differences. And, and once you did, you began to see them. That Once you felt the paper, I can't explain it, but the paper felt different. Um, you began to see little color, color differences between one and the other, ever so slight, ever so different. And Jesus says, we can have the look. We can say, Lord, we can even say, Lord, Lord, but it can be counterfeit. Lastly, Jesus tells us we can do all the right things and still miss it. Look at the characters in this illustration um, uh, that Jesus gives. They stand before the judgment. They unroll the scroll, if you will, of all their deeds, of all the things they've done, of all their achievements. 
and they're bringing them to Jesus, what they've done. And they begin to pontificate all the good things that they have accomplished for God. Look at them. Listen to them in verse 22. This is what they are saying. Uh, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name Uh, and in your name, drive out demons and in your name, perform many miracles? The, The scroll is unrolled. And it's a very, very impressive list of accomplishments, very impressive list of things that were done for God. And not only did they perform these, these feats, not only did they perform these works, they performed them in the name of Jesus. It, they didn't just heal. They healed in the name of Jesus. They, they didn't just cast out demons. They cast out demons in the name of Jesus. We can understand now why some consider this section, these words from Jesus, they say, quote, are the scariest things Jesus ever said, unquote. Jesus said, you can know all the right doctrine. You can cry when you pray. You can lift your hands when you sing. You can serve the poor and you can heal people with your pinky. And I never knew you. Jesus doesn't say, I knew you. And then you went away. He didn't say, he said, I never knew you. Like you missed it this whole time. So how can we have the confidence to stand before Jesus on that day? How how can we have the assurance? How, How can we know that we won't miss it? Well, that's actually in our passage. It says this in verse 21. Listen to what it says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. There it is. (laughs) There's your answer. Get to it and you are in. Live out the will of the father perfectly and you are in. But if we can read that passage this morning with any sense of honesty at all about ourselves, we know that we don't live out the will of God very well, much less perfectly. And even when we do good things, we have what C. Peter, um, C. John Miller says, uh, everything we do, our motives are always mixed. Our motives are always mixed. It's not only that we can't live up to God's will and standards, frankly, If we're honest this morning, we can't live up even to our own will and standards. Uh, I I don't know if you know this about me, um, but I give a running commentary when I am by myself in my car and when I see awful driving happening around me. I, I know this is not a good quality. I've confessed this many times. I even confessed it this morning during confession, knowing that I was gonna speak on this. And don't worry, I have judged you at some point. Some moment you're driving, I have probably judged you. And one of the things that gets my solitary commentary going more than anything else, I don't know if this is for you, but it is for me, is when people refuse to use their blinkers when they turn. They, They grind to a halt 
but they, they don't put the blinker on to let you know that, hey, by the way, I'm turning sin. I don't know if that bothers you as much as me, but um, you know, I have a few choice words in those moments when that happens. But the other day I was driving somewhere and I was, I was thinking about something. I had a lot on, going on in my head and I was turning on the road to head back towards our house. And when I turned, because I had so much going on in my head, I forgot to put my turn signal on. And I turned on the road and I looked in the rearview mirror and there was a woman behind me in disgust, having her solitary commentary on me. Friends, don't don't you see, we can't even live up to our own standards, much less God's standards. Now, I know that some of you, I do not have to tell you, you have fallen short you have, you have felt that pain maybe more this year than you ever have. This past year has brought up all kinds of emotions and we've tried to make sense of them. You, you have fallen short of the standard and you are well aware of it. You, you have gotten upset with your kids. You are living in fear. Um, you, you find yourself drifting away from friends. You may be here thinking my church involvement has been strained through this, you are already quite aware of how you're not living out God's will. And I want you to know that you are not alone. I read a story recently about Kate. Kate was studying abroad in France and her boyfriend had flown across the world to propose. He had, he had flown from Pittsburgh to Paris to propose But Kate didn't even want to say yes to the proposal because Kate had given in again to her long battle with a food addiction and an eating disorder once she arrived in Paris. She didn't know what caused it, whether it was a a new environment, new studies, uh, being away from home. But once she arrived in Paris, her eating disorder began again. And she just carried a deep sense of shame and regret and pain To the point she felt, I can't even say yes to this man. How how could he want to be with me and love me with all the flaws that I carry? So how does God bring us home to himself when we can't get out of the front door on the journey before we've already messed it up? How can we know right now that we have confidence If the one thing he asks from us is the one thing we can't give him. Well, the apostle John gives us an answer. He tells us in his gospel, Jesus and his disciples are together. Um, His disciples have just returned from a neighboring village where they have gone off to gather food for them to eat. Uh, In the story, you can tell they're all hungry, uh, starving at this point. Their stomachs are beginning to growl and make noises, much like maybe some of yours are right now. Um, and the disciples are perplexed because they've brought back all this food, but, but Jesus is not eating. Why, why is he, why is he not eating? And then Jesus gives them his answer. He says this, my food said, Jesus is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus said, I I live to do the will of my father and to finish his work. What what, what is the work that he is speaking of? Well, his work is the culmination 
of all of history in himself, that, that his life is the great story to which all other stories are only shadows that have been pointing to him. And it is the story of his grace. What, what is he speaking to? He, he's speaking to how he will give his life for those who cannot put one foot in front of the other without messing it up. You see, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, um, it tells us, was overwhelmed by the weight of this work that he must do. He, it says there he, he stumbled and he staggered in that garden. And he, and he, and he prayed before his father. He said, uh, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus is the fulfiller of the Sermon on the Mount. There was, there was only one who, who truly lived out the will of the Father, and he lived out that will on our behalf. And we see the completion of that will being lived out all the way to the cross. You see, one of the last statements that Jesus makes on the cross is he utters a three-word phrase that changed all of history. He said, it is finished. And friends, there was a period at the end of that sentence. There was no, there was no comma left for what more you need to do, what you need to accomplish. There was a period there. It is finished. The famous Welsh preacher, David Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, he, he talked about how he would encounter people who uh, he would ask them a question and by their answer, he could tell pretty quickly whether they were a Christian or not. He, he would simply ask, are you a Christian? And, and their response would be, well, I'm trying. I'm trying. Well, I, I, hope, I hope so. And he said he knew in that moment that they didn't understand the gospel. It reminds us of that great scene in The Empire Strikes Back for all my Star Wars fans. Luke is learning the ways of the Force with the Jedi Master Yoda. And Yoda utters these words, do or do not, there is no try. Do or do not, there is no try. Finished or not finished, but there is no try. The question for you is, do you believe it is finished? Do you believe that all has been accomplished on your behalf by Jesus himself? You see, most people, most people, most ordinary people, they repent of the really bad things that they have done, the really shameful things they have done. But Christians also repent of the really good things that they've done, the, 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 the good things that we've done to try to earn God's favor or uh, to uh, display a certain image to others or, 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 or what can I do for God that'll finally get them in my pocket so he'll give me what I really really want. Christians repent of the really bad things they do, but they also repent of the really good things they do. You see, God, through the work of the gospel, has to break up our constant doing to be saved by our works. He has to break up this foundation that exists in our souls where we believe we can merit, where we can bring something to him, or we can get salvation in our own strength. But 
what happens is we, we look around, we, we compare ourselves to some other people, particularly if they, they're not looking as bright or shiny as us. And we go, oh, I'm actually doing okay. But the comparison is in the wrong place. It's to God and his holiness and his standards. This is what happened to Nathan Cole. Nathan Cole uh, was a farmer in Middletown, Connecticut. And he, he wrote a journal. And in the journal, you can tell very quickly that he was practically illiterate. And he, he went out in Middletown, Connecticut, uh, and he recounts the story of he went to hear the great traveling evangelist George Whitfield preach in Middleton, Connecticut in 1741. And in his journal, he recounts how he still didn't trust in the gospel, though he thought he had in that moment, because God had to break up the ground that had hardened in his soul. Here's what Nathan Cole wrote down in his journal about that day, listening to George Whitfield. By hearing him preach, gave me a heart wound. And by God's grace, my old foundation was broken up and I saw my righteousness could not save me. Friends, does God need to break up an old foundation in you this morning? When we stand before God and, and we have to give an account, will, will you unroll the scroll, uh, the scroll of your accomplishments, what you've done, what, what, what good you've brought to the world? Uh, you, will you hold out what you have done, this beautiful scroll and all that it contains? Or will you stand with open hands, signifying I have absolutely nothing to bring? Those are the people God will accept. What will you bring? If you're hoping your good works will be enough, you haven't even set out on the Christian journey yet. Do or do not, there is no try, the great Yoda said. But if you're hoping in Christ and his finished work, you're already home. You have all that you need. This is our only hope. Um, I, I love the way Scotty Smith talks about this hope and the work of the gospel and how what Christ will to finish the Father's work on our behalf. Uh, he, he says, uh, imagine a sheriff comes to uh, your house. He, he knocks on the door and, and you receive a subpoena. And the emotions that that moment brings, it, 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 it unnerves us. It, it provokes us with fear. It overwhelms us. But he said, but imagine every morning the gospel is knocking at your door with a subpoena of hope. A subpoena of hope to look beyond your circumstances, beyond what has happened in your life, beyond the places where you just cannot seem to get it all figured out. There is a knock on the door every morning for you to fix your eyes on the one who has accomplished everything for you. Do you hear the knock this morning? The gospel is knocking and there is a subpoena of hope. No matter what has overwhelmed you, no matter the places where you have blown it and continue to lose it, this is our hope. Do you hear the knocking? There is a hope. There is a hope. This is the hope that Kate found to get past her endless battle of an eating disorder. How the apostle Peter had hope 
even though he was self-consumed and a racist. How King David found hope even when he was an exploiter of women and was a murderer. And this is the hope that Nathan Cole finally found. That there was a God who needed to break up the hard ground in his soul. This is the hope that no matter what you are facing this morning, it keeps knocking every single day for you to trust and believe. We have a hope not in the things that we have done, but in the one who willed the Father's work on our behalf, Jesus himself. He gave his life for you and for me to rescue us, to redeem us, to save us. Do you know him? Do you hear him knocking with good news of hope this morning, no matter how you feel? That's the only assurance that we truly have. James Proctor wrote a wonderful hymn called It Is Finished. And the closing stanza, I think, sums it all up. And this is what he said. Cast your deadly doing down. Down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him, in him alone, gloriously complete. Friends, have you laid your deadly doing down? down, whatever it is. I invite you to run to Jesus this morning. Empty handed, empty handed and find in him. You have all that you need. Let's pray. Our father, uh, these These are sobering words. And we need your spirit to comfort us. Uh, Open our eyes again this morning. Open our hearts to see the beauty of this gospel. The finished work of Jesus for us. Enable us by your spirit to lay our deadly doing down. Spirit, break up the old foundation in us. Empower us to live in the freedom of this gospel, having nothing in our hands, yet gloriously complete. May we receive that knock of hope again this morning. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. And everyone said, amen, amen.